Hello everyone, welcome to the 1st December edition of the Going in Circles Big Monday Show. Tonight, we have an epic show, at least an epically long show. Barry and I discuss all manners of activities, get uh, some feedback on the weekend stakes, not much in the coming weeks, though... A track that actually has grass races is running two of them. Well, I guess Los Al doesn't have grass, so we'll be down to Gulfstream in Tampa. But uh, we talk about a lot of stuff tonight. Be back in a minute to hear what the sniper has to say. Pleasant Acre Farms is a full-service breeding operation located in Morriston, Florida, just outside of Ocala. If you want to get involved in the breeding business in the Sunshine State, or you're already involved, Pleasant Acre Farms is really the only place you need to know. Joe and Helen Barbazon, who are just great people, do a fantastic job taking care of your mare. Uh, they have a solid roster of 13 stallions with a really diverse group of pedigrees, your mayor will find a match at Pleasant Acre Farms. Currently, the star of Pleasant Acre Farms' stallion roster is Neolithic, who is by far a runaway winner of the Freshman Stallion of the Year here in the state of Florida. His son, Make It Big, just made it 3 for 3, winning the $400,000 Springboard Mile at Remington Park, earning 10 points towards the Kentucky Derby in the process. Pleasant Acre Farms is... Your one-stop shop for breeding in the state of Florida. Check them out at www.pleasantacrestallions.com or on Twitter at P-A-S Stallions. You can also give them a call at 352-528-2885. Pleasant Acre Stallions, check them out. Welcome to December, Sniper. Is that what month it is? It is the month of Santa Claus. <laughs> kind of hard to believe it's December already, but uh, here we are. I know, right? Won't be it long. actually seems like the, the British Cup was like two years ago. I know, right? It was, <laughs> uh, it was a, a long, long time ago. Um, had a little bit of stake action this week, kind of the last week before uh, a pretty good lull. California is heading to Los Al for a little bit, and you never know when the last uh, Los Al meet might might be upon us because uh, Doctor Aldred, when uh, he, I think he has it in his will. That uh, upon his passing, Los Alamitos shall be sold. So, so I think they got eight days of Los Al um, coming up. New York, uh, they had the Cigar Mile card, which <laughs> was uh, not so great this year. Not the weather wasn't good. There was no turf racing. Um. You know, the fields weren't spectacular. I guess they were representative 
of sorts, but uh, um, you know, it was it was what it is. Uh, Turfway is is now in effect in um, Kentucky. Yeah, that was Turfway, the, the track named after grass that has no turf. No turf. Yeah. Fairgrounds, which isn't named after turf, that has no turf. <laughs> Had to get that dig in for our, our man, Matty G. But uh, <laughs> he's mad at Fairgrounds. I don't know why, but he's mad at him. Um, I guess a lot of other people are mad at him too. But it is an amazing phenomenon that grass is no longer to be uh, a given <laughs> in certain places. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> I think even Turf Paradise is the the grass is like shredded already. I mean, it's just it's just odd that there's been this this um, you know lack of turf racing basically because not of, of they can say whatever they want about well it's weather and this and that we we have a hundred years of history or fifty years or seventy five grass at these racetracks and. I've never seen it be like it is. <laughs> um, so, I mean, Gulfstreams was self-induced by trying to go 12 months a year. Uh, Churchill's, they were trying to put in a better course, and it just kind of backfired. The Farragons, I don't know, they, they had some excuse about the water, the salt water, and this and that. Huh. But, um, it's just kind of amazing. But, uh, but here we are, and I tell you that Gulfstream, they kind of, um, they've got, they wound up in a good situation, I, I believe, because of the uh, ineptitude of, of their places. <laughs> <laughs> they really did. It's just like they lucked out into a good spot, at least for the beginning of the meet. Yeah, because this is the non-championship championship meet. Um, we will be getting the the actual championship meet underway on the twenty sixth because of why why didn't they just push it to to January first? Like oh, no like no no, the, the, they have to have synergies. They have synergies. It's a big big word in the Stronic organization. Uh, with the Malibu card at, at Santa Anita. Um, why? I have no idea because someone in marketing decided that was a good idea. I mean, let's face it, Gulfstream pushed off the championship meet till the 26th because everyone's down there. They're going to probably run the same amount as they would, but they're able to save a couple weeks of, of in purse money, which is fine. I mean, that's part of the deal these days. And um, I saw that Penn national has to cut 10% of their days, which is kind of, um, I mean, there's not a whole lot of people that are going to cry about that understandably but it is a little bit um you give it a little bit of a side eye look as the reason that they're cutting is because casino profits at uh penn national or hollywood pen or whatever the hell they call it um are down but they're down because the company that owns penn national put up two other casinos (laughs) In, in the local area that are competing against that one. But those casinos don't have to contribute anything to the horse racing fund. <laughs> so it's sort of a uh, um, uh, 
an end around, right? It, it, you know, they went around the an end run. So they're going to get the people in York's money, but the people in York don't have to contribute to the horses. Um, but that's kind of the way it's going to be. And, you know, we it's a, it's a completely... what's the word disjointed business is an industry and that because of the horse population issue that that's going to get worse there should be some sort of systemic move to schedule races in a more effective manner but that of course that never happens um and it's something that we've talked about here i'm you know we've talked about it online it's just it's an issue and you know, the, the symposium in Arizona is this week, and <laughs> I don't know that anything of note's going to get said or get done there, because the lineups are usually the same people saying the same things. That's an understatement, believe it or not. Listen, you, you want to shake things up out there? <laughs> Let me run a panel. Let me bring my people in, and we'll talk some real talk. And uh, I know one thing. You get a lot more people willing to pay the 149 bucks to stream it. 150 bucks, dude. But, uh, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a fragmented industry by design. But um, it's an issue. And it's, it's just, uh, it's just, you know. I don't, I don't even want to get into it, but um, let's start with the Naira, the the Aqueduct card. What what did you think of um everyone's favorite Philly? <laughs> I, Julia, I, Julia the Shining. I I'm starting to think that uh, she's gonna get this same justique treatment that. You know that I've given Justique. Uh, you know, I, I just so overrated. I mean, she she's good. She got it done twice, but it's hard for me to get as a better. You know, visually, like watching her run is great. As a better, I'm just waiting for the other shoe to drop. You know, closers are not <laughs> the way to go in 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 races like that going forward as horses get older better stronger and so on it's just gonna be an uphill battle i think but you know only time will tell you know the thing about her is that obviously she's a talented horse because she overcomes trouble the main issue is that she creates the trouble right right being behind is is always an issue i I saw todd said that they were thinking of sun coast ashland and uh, listen, he's won a whole lot more big races and championships than I have, but a filly like that would seem to need a lot more racing than that. Um, you know, her her Keeneland race was probably uh, a more dramatic race from the standpoint of the issues that she showed in, in the first eighth of a mile where she just, like, was going to be, you know, eased. <laughs> Um, this, you know, here Saez had figured out that she's not going to take kickback. So 
even though she was way behind, she seemed like she was last. You know, she was you know behind. She was wide, and uh, I, I just I think it's the uh, an issue where you look at her and Justique, and they're not running good numbers. Now that doesn't mean necessarily that a horse isn't a good horse, and and to be able to overcome and win races, um, you know, when there's trouble as a young horse is always a commendable uh, talent. But the problem is that the reason that these are W's, uh, not so much Justique because she won easy, but the point being is that the competition is very, very weak and the times are very slow. So they're winning because they're in against inferior competition. The horse right. that, that uh, Julia Shining ran down was a, is a maiden. Um, you know, a maiden that's that's obviously needed more ground, but a maiden nonetheless. And winning on a sloppy track is is of course, uh, I mean, some horses just don't handle it and won't run on it. So it's not a, a, a negative, but I, I just I texted someone after the race. Uh, <laughs> Who had texted me about something different? I see. You know, the one thing that sucks about modern day racing is how long I have to wait to bet against Justique and, and, and Julia. Right, <laughs> it's like two months. And, and like you know, the point that you made about being you know looking at it as a better, um, you know, she was one to two. <laughs> <laughs> if you cashed on it, well, you know, pat yourself hey. on the back. But you ain't getting no pats on the back from me for betting on her a one to two in a slop going a mile and an eighth. I don't care how bad the field was because she was a terrible bet. And not, and, and it was funny because Saturday there was like a series of, you know, vastly overbet favorites that kept winning. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I wasn't even betting, but because of, uh, you know, it was that same circumstance that you and I talk about in private a lot where how many times have I texted you and said, man, if they had exchange wagering, I would have been so over, you know, <laughs> I could have crushed because I would offer like three to one on a horse that's four to five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bad favorites that were winning. That that's that's like for me as a as a better. That is like the worst thing that could happen. Like when that happens, I'm definitely losing. There's no way around that. And it's just you know just my style of play. I mean, I guess I could adjust, but. It's just not, you know, for me, just not worthwhile doing because I know, you know, flip-flopping back and forth, it's just no point in it. So I'll either stay away from the card altogether or just kind of, you know, take small shots where I can. But it's tough sledding when when bad favorites win. Yeah, when bad favorites win, I'm going to lose or I'm just not going to play. That's just the way it is. Because you cannot win betting bad favorites. You just cannot win betting bad favorites. Um, or betting on them. You can you know, try to beat, bet against them. Bet against but them. That, that often becomes the problem in that it's not just that you don't like the favorite and you want to throw the favorite out. It gets to be the point of where do I go then? Right. And then the next step is not to play. That, that's, that's the frustrating part about it. Where right. Even if you beat them, well, you still have to come up with the winner. So 
and, and even then, you might become up uh, on a horse who's who's underlaid as well because it's a small field. <laughs> um. Uh, anyway, I thought the colt race. I thought the um, the boys race was was actually a pretty good race for the winner. Um. The, the, who was what's the, the horse by Good Magic for the Gardens horse? Uh, shit. What's the name? <laughs> I forget the name. I know we're super prepared. It's your fault. It is my fault. I actually had the, the I was looking at the chart like ten minutes ago. I don't how do you, I don't even know how to say that name. Well, that that's a we'll, we'll go with it. We don't we don't we can't give you the horse's name because we don't know how to say it. The D horse. Yeah. Um, Dubinel is that how you say? Good it? magic is has actually had a had a really good year. Dubinel, yeah, I guess. W hell, W hell, and yeah, yep. W W Nell, W the, the D horse. Yeah. Um, but no, I thought he ran well. I mean, he handled the mile and an eighth. Okay. Yeah, that that's probably the only thing I got out of it that he can handle the distance. I mean, the field wasn't spectacular. He wasn't. No, it he was okay. Big. I mean, he was he was good enough and and did well, but it's just. You know, wait and see. I mean, I, I don't know what to make of it yet. And it's hard because <laughs> we don't see too many of these races. Like, you don't see them run a lot. So you kind of have to. No, I, I thought it was. Um, I thought. Yeah, it was all right. I didn't think it was, you know, I didn't think it was a good field, put it that way. I mean, um, Tuskegee Airmen was, was six to five coming off of the stakes when it's <clears throat> Delaware. Right. Which, which kind of tells you all you need to know. All you need to know. <laughs> That's right. I think Arctic Arrogance ran good. That was the horse who went to the lead for Les Con. Yeah, the second. I don't second. think that that horse really wants to go a mile and an eighth. That was kind of my my question about him. Um, but Dubin Hall or wherever the hell his name is, <laughs> he did run good. You know, I, I will give him credit. And uh, I mean, it wasn't it was a lot faster time than the uh, uh, than the uh, the demoiselle, I think they got a ninety buyer, so it was you know pretty a pretty good race. And last year that race was a, was a pretty productive race too. Um, you got the the Belmont winner and uh, who else was in there? That was the race last year where Irad did the elbowing, right? Yes, we we were at the track. Zandon Zandon was in there. Zandon. Uh, speaking of which, he was a disgracefully bad favorite. Oh man, he was horrible. Like, I why, I don't understand why he was favored to begin with. I, I didn't understand that. I, I really was kind of baffled by by. I, I thought he'd be like seven to five, and I guess maybe people were betting based upon the buyers. I, I don't know because I don't... I, on the like on the thoroughgraph he really wasn't. Such a big than everybody for he a horse that was marginally 
good at that distance. You know what I mean? Like he never wins. Right. He he he, he doesn't win and he's seven to five in a race like that. And then, then on a sloppy track, which you think might compromise his style, right? So um I, I was just kind of it was another situation where I, I'd have given six or seven to five on the horse if someone wanted to wanted to bet him, uh, you know. I mean, you know, I, I guess, I guess you could, you could say, you, you could basically be, you know, have the, the stance that mind control, who's always been a little bit shaky, you know, you don't know which mind control is going to show up. However, it seems like his best track was Aqueduct anyway. Yeah, he's, he's it's his best service. I think he has the most wins, had the most wins at Aqueduct than any other place. So, I guess you could say that was the the overriding factor. But still, Zan in it three to five, three to five. That's that's not good. <laughs> I mean, let's face it. This was maybe the worst cigar Naira Mile ever. Maybe, I think that's a certainty. I was, I was, I always, I always hate to say for certain because somebody's going to look up like the 1997 one that I forgot (laughs) (laughs) and I forgot it because some, some plug won it that year. But I mean, this was not a good race. White Abario, who's really just a horse and hadn't run good in a long time. He was three to one. Um, I bet a horse, I, I bet the Peter Miller horse, basically because he was about as fast as everyone else and he was eight to one. And I said, <laughs> why not? He, he's as good as anybody else in here. And let me take a shot. And I mean, only reason I didn't bet him is because I, I wasn't fond of the, uh, the ship. Yeah. Shipping west to east is, is always, um, at this time of the year. You know, but I mean, mind control got the job done, and and you know what? He's a he's a nice old horse, and uh, I think he won eleven or twelve races lifetime. Won Grade ones at two, three, and and uh, six, which is not something you see done. But of course, most of the time, if you win a Grade one at two and three, you're probably not going to be around at six. So it's it's not like an accomplishment that it's almost like a negative accomplishment. Right, it's you won like, grade ones as a young horse, but you just can't get a stud deal done. And I, I think it's like you know what I was saying. I think it was last week about you know like college basketball players. Like you, you wonder why they're there after two years. Yeah, right. Exactly. It's, <laughs> it's like, well, why are you still there's here? A, there's a reason that they're still in college, and it's it's not because the next level desires them. Um. But no, I mean, when when you run a, a grade one race and you get two Norm Cash horses in there, uh, that's not a good sign. But this is going to be 2023. I'm telling you right now. And I'll say this with certainty. Because there's no good horses really left outside of maybe like Cody's Wish and uh, um, Taiba. I mean, as of right now, Tyba probably just clean house <laughs> the way it stands right now. But 
I, I don't know. It's just, it's just in limbo. I mean, I guess that that's good. It's, it's a good thing for, for parody's sake, because one of these races, one of these big races is going to be like somebody just come out of nowhere and win at a big price. But as of right now, there's no, it's just no order <laughs> at all. As everybody's like, you know, retired or laid up. I mean, you know, who knows when we'll see Rich Strike again. Exactly. And that's the point that I made with Flightline. That if Flightline was in the, the cigar mile, and let's <laughs> understand, he would have scratched. I'm sure they wouldn't have run him in the mud. It's slop. But if he was in that race, he would have been one to nine, and he would have won by 10 or 15 lengths. Because there's no doubt in my mind that he's 10 or 15 lengths better than those horses. And that's what I, my, my point about him, like, what is there left for him to do? He's going to crush these horses that are left. There's no one actually left that he hasn't either already crushed or would because it's the thinnest group of, of older horses um, that, that are left. Uh, it, it's just uh, our guy. What's our guy on Twitter that, that always tags us? Oh, um, the inconvenient? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he put the list of horses the other day. And, <laughs> and I was like, dude, you're kind of proving my point here. Right. <laughs> Zandon, he, I said, uh, the three of them, Charge It, Zandon, and Rich Strike, if there was an enterprising track out there, they would offer like a $300,000 two other than allowance race going a mile and a 16th on the dirt because those three are all eligible for it. Second level allowance race. <laughs> that Those are probably three out of the top six or seven horses that are, are two turn dirt horses coming back. Well, that maybe... kills me. Like, you know, when we were saying that, you know, he's, he's run out of competition, people were mad, but I mean, how could they be mad? Look at, look at what, what's left. Who that's, is he going to run against? That's the that, and nobody's going to run against him. That's the other thing. Exactly. He, it was, you know, he 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 would have been lucky to get four horses to line up against him. Exactly, and and that's the point we tried to make. That and, and listen, horse racing arguments. You have to remember about ninety percent of the people that argue with you don't like consider any of the variables. They just argue what's right in front of. And that's all they want to do. They they have no, you know, thought process of all right. Well, let me try to understand how he's coming about this. Why would he say that? Well, who is it that I would uh, that's out there that I said? You know what? Maybe that horse could give Flightline a run. Well, nope. There's no one. There's no one. And next year, it's going to be a very bleak year for the older horse division, which should mean that people will take more shots than ever hmm. because there is no big bad wolf to be afraid of. How many races did, did uh, um, you know, cigar running as an older horse? Well, I guess he, he really didn't get good till he was an older horse, but um, you know, eight, nine times a year. Mm-hmm. 
and he he raced against a different cast of characters. A lot of them. I was looking through his charts the other day, and uh, some of the races, like we talked about handicap racing, and I actually looked up, and Suffolk put a race up after kind of the mass handicap had, had lost its uh, grading, and they put up a kind of a, a mass handicap for scar to come running and he carried 130 pounds in that race but uh and he won easy but most of the horses in the race carried like 112 114 113 and it was all you know all local horses nobody was shipping up to run against him and and i think they they wrote it like the purse was like 150,000 but it was 300,000 if a horse with four grade ones <laughs> <laughs> it was running in it basically like all right so if you come we'll double the purse but uh if you don't come we're not gonna give the whole the whole thing to a bunch of you know second raiders but that's the thing is that that even though he ran all over the country he ran against a lot of different horses um and you would hope that that guys would try because horses are going to develop. There's going to be some th- late developing three-year-olds that turn into pretty good horses. Look at a horse like Olympiad. Right? Mm-hmm. Coming into the year, nobody was thinking, oh, Olympiad's going to be a top horse, but he developed into one. This In this situation is that uh, you're going to always wonder, hey, are they just beating, are they just winning races because the competition is really poor? Yeah, that's like the, the Tom Tom's Detas syndrome. Like, you know, I, I think Olympiad and Tom's Detail kind of meshed there a little bit. Like, I would have liked to see Olympiad come back this year. Me too. I, I would think that Olympiad this year. He had more to prove. Would, to me, would be, you know, have a, have a big chance at horse of the year. Um, If you, you know, played it your cards right with him. Because uh, he, he's the fast stores coming in. Him, him and Tybo. Mm-hmm. And when there's only two good horses, they're going to duck each other pretty much for the most part because that's just how things are done. Tybo stay out in the West Coast to go to, to uh, I guess he's going to run into Malibu, which which actually surprised me. It surprised me that Baffert's going to back him up from a mile and a quarter um, to seven eighths. Uh, but again, it's going to be a situation of he's going to be two to five. <laughs> I guess so, if there's any time to beat him, that's that's it. Yeah, right. I mean, how how cranked will he be for that race with twenty million dollar races on the horizon? Uh, I would guess not as as cranked, but I also don't know that. I mean, he certainly was, was fast enough. I, I would think. I mean, but um, yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be a. It's going to be a pretty bad year for, for older horses and hopefully a couple late ones, you know, later developed ones emerge and then turn out to be, you know, good. And I mean, proxy won the Clark the other day with like a hundred buyer. Yeah. Somebody will step up and fill in the gaps, but I mean, I don't, I don't think proxy had ever broke a zero on the, the, the thoroughbreds before the other day. I don't even know what he got, but. That's not fast. That's slow. It's like super slow. 
a normal par for grade one races is like a, for older horses. Yeah, minus two. It's right? like a minus two, which, you know, the difference between the zero and a minus two is, is <laughs> a lot. <laughs> yeah. So, and it's not like, uh, you know, numbers are the end all of end alls, but we've seen these, we've seen what horses have run over the years. And, and that's the thing that, that bothers me about people when they just refuse to acknowledge that yeah a horse can run a super fast number here and there but it's the consistency of of how they run really kind of says how good they are and you know the the horses that you beat should mean something should mean something negative or positive but people get upset nowadays and i i I just don't really understand that like it doesn't make sense to me like they're so Worried about you? Well, a the horses, you know. Oh, you're offending. Oh, horses, they're horses. They don't care. <laughs> they were so mad. Give them a carrot. They'll be happy. They don't care if you you call them slow. Trust me, I've called a lot of them slow. They just look at you. One day I was always waiting for one to say, "Yeah, you're pretty slow too." <laughs> <laughs> By the way, the Hollywood Derby. I mean, mm. can we just please? Stop with that race as a grade one race. Yeah, why is it a grade one? You know, it was funny. I, I don't know why I was thinking about this today, but this these are the, the thoughts that go through my brain. So this probably might explain why I say some of the things I do. But I was thinking to myself, I would bet you in that room, the greatest stakes committee, that person A would say, listen, this race is just not a grade one race anymore. And whatever formula they have might show, well, it's not a grade one race anymore. And it really is. It's not a grade one race. How can you put that race on the same parts as Kentucky Derby and the Breeders' Cup Classic and, and all the really actual grade one races? You can't. <sighs> and I could see other people saying, yeah, but look, it had a big field. And if it wasn't a grade one, I bet some of them horses might not have shipped out for it. And that is probably true. Mm -hmm. But that shouldn't matter. It shouldn't matter. The integrity of the grade ones, uh, of the graded system, needs to be tightened up. It just does. That's not a grade one race. There's two horses, I think, who would won greatest stakes in the race. Two. How can you have fields of grade one races for at the end of three year olds you know season? It's it's this isn't like um this is January and, and three year olds have just turned three and maybe haven't had that many chances at grade one races. Some of the horses have a, a season and a half of racing and, and they haven't won grade one or haven't won a greatest stake. A graded stake period. I mean you get the same field as you get for grade twos and grade threes. It's the same group. It's not different. <laughs> right. It's just, it's just the name of the race is different. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You just changed the name. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> it's like, man, it's just not a great race. It's, it's like, you know, you know what that reminds me of? It's like, you know, if, if it was my, my daughter's like basketball team and they dressed in, like all Orlando Magic uniforms, is it's still not a pro game. <laughs> They're not pros. No, 
it's just not it's just not that and and that's how they should handle these these grades on the races it's like all right we got a bunch of these horses that aren't any good but they're in a race that's considered yeah. a grade one uh, it's not a grade one <laughs> not a grade one there's no grade one race horses in it even the clark there's no grade one horses in the race except rich strike he won one race it happened to be literally it happened to be a big race there are other <laughs> horses none of them had had even i think two of them had, had even run in a grade one race and they got smoked it just isn't a grade one there's only three grades. That being said, hmm. it was a pretty good betting race. It was. I didn't, I didn't have the winner. I didn't bet, but I actually got shut out. I was going to bet your horse, the one horse. For our How- guy, Jersey Joe Bravo. Jersey Joe. Let's call him Rick Ross Jr. Barry can tell you the story. I made fun of him on Twitter. <laughs> He was mad. That's why. Yeah. <laughs> under, under, I went, when I was suspended from my regular Twitter account, telling the animal rights guy to go jump off a bridge. And uh, and he, he knew it was me. <laughs> oh, he definitely knew it was you. Without not even hesitating, the, the, the tweet came right back, like, almost immediately. He's like, Chuck, damn it. You remember, like, 25 years ago when, when there was that, um, that phase when guys would carry like little hand bass, you know, little hand, almost like purses. <laughs> yes. Yeah. He's still mad because I made fun of him because he was carrying one of them things. <laughs> I was like, hey, what's in your purse, Joe? <laughs> your makeup and lipstick. F you, Chuck. <laughs> Walter Blum Jr. still tells the story about when. When I put Tommy Turner in the uh, Bravo opens up a restaurant, him and I think somebody else in uh, not a restaurant, a, kind of a bar in Hollywood. So it's opening night. We all go, and I don't know what the reasoning was. I might have had a couple too many, but um, we put Tommy Turner in the uh, in the walk-in uh, <laughs> in the freezer, yeah, the cooler. <laughs> <laughs> Why'd you put him in the cooler? Eh, why not? He, he was he was there. He was, shouldn't he, have been standing. He, he was actually a good dude, man. He was a good guy. Matter of fact, he, he got he rode a horse for me. Uh, I bought a horse off Chris Clement, and it was a two-turn dirt horse. Believe it or not, they actually used to have two-turn dirt what? races out of town. And it was an A of the then. It had a condition, and I can't remember. Well, we didn't give a whole lot of money for the horse. We bought it from from him privately. Uh, the owner wanted to sell the horse. The agent gave it to me. I said, yeah, let's buy the horse. So we bought the horse. And we run it back in Monmouth. And Tommy Turner rides him. And uh, going to mile 16th, I, I believe. And, and he wins the race. And runs like a huge figure. I think he got like 110 buyer. And Clement was in the head after the race, and he told the agent, I'm not selling him any more horses. <laughs> Anyways, I, ra- I ran him back at Saratoga and a three other then. And uh, remember Pure Prize? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he smoked stacked us. <laughs> <laughs> he stacked us up and kicked us right in the yeah. ass. But uh, yeah. 
Yeah, Tommy Turner wrote that one. I can't think of the horse's name. I can't remember horse's names anymore. It's it's funny because I can remember the horse's name who beat me, but I can't remember the horse, um, my own horse. <sighs> Bad beats are always in the front of the brain. Yeah, it was that was I, I had just started training too. I mean, I had not trained long at all. Um, maybe like you know, two years at that point. Let me see if I can look that up. <laughs> you know, I've noticed not that anyone really cares. You know what I've noticed? What? And it's a good thing, is that <clears throat> they really cleaned up the conditions. Impressionist. Impressionist. Name. Yep, impressionist. I remember that horse. Johnny V wrote him for me. He finished second to Pure Prize. Pure Prize galloped. They Colin. they cleaned up the 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 conditions at Gulfstream. You know, before it used to be like a book underneath. Now there is a one race or now I'm into the race other than maiden claiming starter state bread. Uh, gray horses <laughs> never went to or never went a race in six months or horses with the name with the starts with a C or optional 75,000. <laughs> it's like the old days now. It was just like just a number claiming price. That's it. I like that. I mean, yeah. it'll, 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 It'll widen the scope of, of who gets in. I mean, it's not limited to a certain group of horses. That well, that, that's why they the out of each they, other every every month. Like it's actually month. the opposite, Barry. That that's why they added so many conditions was to try to get more horses in the race. <sighs> the problem is that some of the horses under the conditions are much better than the ones under the simple conditions. See, the A of Venge was always my complaint about adding too much on it because ALN horses for the most part have just beat maidens. They haven't, they haven't run against winners. Right. They they, they've won claiming races. So those, there should be enough of those horses that exist that you don't have to write a lot of optionals. I remember I ran in a New York bred optional. Uh, it was a horse that broke his maiden for like maiden 35 out of town mm-hmm. and he surprised me he actually ran better that day than um than i was expecting and the owner said hey why don't we bring him to new york and try him in an a other than which made sense new york bred a other than because money was much much better and i uh, gets in in a race but it was a other than optional 40 um i believe or optional 25 one of the two and I drew in against a horse uh, was um, Jacobson. What's the people he used to train for? Um, the, the 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 group uh, the they used to run all the time. Which one? The blue silks with the oh Mashera. No no no. Uh, David Jacobson trained. Oh them Jacobson for the outfit that he used I, to. Train I know for. what you're talking about. Man, I can't the name. Can't so hold. so I I ran. I, against it. Uh, my horses run one time in his career 
He's in an A other than first entry level condition as New York Reds. And the other horse has won like four stake races and like paid seven hundred thousand dollars. And like a dummy I didn't scratch. And then, oh, I was gonna say you scratch it's like automatic scratch. <laughs> no, because you know, I, I ran him and then oh he ran off in the post parade with the jock. That's what he might have run. He might have run anyway, bad anyways. But you know, his horses run like ninety buyers. My horse ran like a sixty-two. And it's just I was like, man, it's not right that horses that just broke their maidens have to run against a horse a seasoned horse that's that's won stake races and, and made, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in, in an entry level allowance race. It just isn't uh, you know. But you're gonna see more and more of those things happening as the horse populations shrink. Um, you know, it's it's like harness conditions. You know, sometimes you look at harness conditions and, and uh, there's like 12 of them. <laughs> <laughs> and the last one is condition three-year-olds. <laughs> yeah, the non-championship championship meet. But at least we have grass racing. Yeah. Yeah, the, the grass looked pretty good. Yeah, it should be. I mean, how? It's new. <laughs> it's, it's new. I just don't understand how, you know, a place like Florida forgot how to grow grass. Yeah. Use grass too much. Yeah, that's that's kind of the big deal, you know. That that's going to be the, the issue. Worn out. In the wintertime. And that's the thing that people didn't realize that was the good part about uh, GPW is it gave that other course a break before the championship meet. It did. Uh, you know, last year what they did, I mean, they really didn't do a whole lot. They just gave it off, time off. And, and, and this year they gave it uh, a significant time off and they brought a guy in and and that was his focus, was the grass courses. That's it. He didn't have to worry about anything else, just the grass courses. And um, it certainly looks like they, they did a good job. Uh, but it's, it's going to be difficult to run as many months as they run and, and have it. I'm, I'm expecting that they would take more time off in the summertime, which, you know, makes sort, sense. Of, sort of destroys the business in the summer. But, uh, but I think with, with other tracks like colonial operating in the in the you know turf centric meets they're going to expand that that meet as well churchill's going to run the 50 days i don't know if they're going to do it next year or what but you know for them uh each day equals another 100 slot machines that they can have to use year round so <laughs> those <laughs> they're allowed to have 50 they're going to have 50 they're going to run 50 days i can guarantee you that which, which is a good thing. I mean, um, especially, you know, a place that you, you can get your grass horses raced, which, which suddenly became an issue this year, which was not something that I was expecting. So, um, what are the thoughts that you have uh, on this fine evening? Hmm. I've got a lot of thoughts. <laughs> um, no, I mean, you know, it's just winding down the end of the year. The, this, uh, 
kind of waiting for this Malibu to come up and and the championship meet to start. But b- before that, it's it's kind of sleepy, you know, unless you it play is. night, unless you play night tracks and you play like Turfway and you know, which I do like to foray into the Turfway realm because it's a lot of chaos going on and and you can bet against favorites with confidence. You seen any difference in the Turfway? Um, they run races since this is a new surface. It is uh, it's the Peter surface, which is the first time they've had that. Um, it's so, always been the fairest, uh, to synthetic track. You know where there's really no bias. Yeah, but it's a new track. That's what I'm saying. Is they changed that track. So yeah, I, I mean it, it still plays kind of the same. I think it, you know you just get a lot of bad betting and false favorites, things like that. Horses that look good on turf that come there that don't particularly, you know, run as good on the synthetic. Get a lot of that. Or horses trying it for the first time. You'll get some of that too that that blow up the tote board. Yeah, we got Oakland coming up this week too. Um this they, week? Yeah. What? Oakland uh opens up the ninth. So OP's is is back. I don't have outstanding luck at Oaklawn. Oaklawn is a is a track that tough is, track. That yeah, it, it, it to me it, it's um it's a difficult track to uh, a lot of some of the guys I shouldn't say a lot of the guys but some of the guys I'm not that familiar with trainers. And, uh, you know, it's all dirt, which I think is is kind of, you know, we're not used to handicapping all dirt races these days. <laughs> I certainly am not. No, it, it just is a different, there's a different vibe to it. Um, and they do run a lot of cheap races there. Understandably. I mean, hey, listen, they don't have a turf course, so it's not like you're going to get... Um, you know, every week run a couple turf maidens, a couple turf allowance races, and a couple turf stakes, and hey, that's uh, one less day of racing that you don't have to fill. So, um, I get it. You know, I mean, that's what they have, but the the money there is is phenomenal. And uh, I mean, they started their their meet out with maidens going for ninety thousand, which is a lot. Hell yeah, Arkansas bred maidens go for ninety thousand. Ron Moquette will be living high on the hog. Uh, actually, the Friday, this Friday is opening day at Oakland, and the Advent Stakes, uh, which is a five and a half furlong race for two year olds, which, which seems a little odd at this time of the calendar. I say it's a little late, ain't it? Five and a half furlong race. Uh, but there is going to be interest in that. Uh, the horse. Um, um, what's his name? Shit, I forgot his name. God, Alzheimer's, I think. Both of us. Um, the horse from Iowa is gonna be is in there. Oh, Tyler's tribe. Yes, Tyler's tribe was entered in the race, and I'll be honest, I was surprised to see him entered. I was gonna say so soon, didn't he? Like. Bled at, no. Yeah, he bled badly at the Breeders' Cup. Yeah. 
Yeah, that that was kind of a, a surprise to me um, to see him entered, you know, quite so quick. I, I was thinking that uh, that he would be getting a little bit of time off, and and I'll be honest, I don't know his trainer at all, and and um, I mean he, I'm sure he does good. He's done well with this horse so far, other than you know, taking a shot in the Breeders' Cup, but. Um, I gotta say that that horse does not strike me as a breeder's as a triple crown type horse, and I think they're really kind of barking up the wrong tree. Right, stick to what you're good at. Considering running him, um, you know, starting him in Derby preps because I mean he's by Sharp as Tekka, and he's he's out of a mission in Pasville. There, he doesn't have a whole lot of 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 stamina and influence degree <laughs> lack thereof and yeah. it's uh I don't know I, I just I just have a hard time because I think well yeah there's you know, an opportunity the, there because the, the sprint division is terrible the guy is probably telling us that saying them so I'm never gonna get a two-year-old turn of three that's that's this good. Which is probably true, but I mean, nothing about that horse says a mile and a quarter to me. Nothing. Um, and that's, I think, you know, we've seen horses that have, uh, you know, fallen by the wayside on, on the, the Triple Crown Trail because they simply weren't um, they weren't cut out for it. They they weren't, you know, they weren't the, they weren't distance horses. And I'll give Steve Asmussen a lot of credit, and I'll give the owners a lot of credit when they pulled the plug on Jackie's Warrior, who had won a race at a mile impressively, though it was a one turn mile, which of course is a different, it's a different style of race than a two turn race, and it only took him one race as a three year old to realize that it wasn't happening or going around two turns and they stopped trying and they wound up winning wasn't a whole it? hell of a lot of grade one races and, and Eclipse Awards and, and tons of money. Now he's standing for $50,000 because they made the right decision early enough before they chewed him up too much. Um, and I'm not saying that this horse is going to become a um, champion sprinter or he'll become a stallion. But the odds of him being a champion sprinter and a stallion are far greater than they are him winning the Kentucky Derby. I would put his odds at a thousand. Uh, I shouldn't even say a thousand. A hundred thousand to one. I don't think there's any chance that that horse can, can make him get a mile and a quarter. <sighs> Wasn't Jackie's Warrior favorite in the British Cup? He was, yes. And then didn't they run him one other time after Oakland? Oakland, right. Yeah. Going yeah. long, and then they like, yeah, no moss. And he, and he really didn't have any excuse that day. You know, remember, it was, I think it was sloppy. It, it was, was sloppy. it was wet. It was, yeah, it was, it was, track. It was like, a, like a miserable day, and, and he just like got to the top of the stretch. And had nothing. Right. He was done. 
But when you watch Tyler's Tribe run, he runs like a sprinter. And he doesn't see, you know, and the thing about him is, well, I guess he will never become a stallion because I forgot he's gilded. <laughs> that part is over. But that's the thing. It's like you have this really good horse. Like, be what you are. You want to win a race on the first Saturday in May? Shoot for the Pat Day Mile. That's a race you can win. It's a big race still. It's one of the top three-year-old mile races. Think about the Alan Jerkins. Think about the Woody Stevens, that 7 ace. Those are races that are important races that have big purses that are at, hold on, the, the, you know, uh, they're, at the, they're in the spotlight at the top of the game. Win those. You're not winning the Derby. You have zero, zero chance. Zero chance. Especially with a horse who's got six starts already that, that's going to have seven starts as a two-year-old. And then what are you going to do? You're going you're gonna to run them two, three more times? I mean, I'm a guy that, that is a proponent of, of racing horses. But you blow horse blood out of his nose. If he bleeds out of his nose again, I think he gets 60 or 90 days. I just don't like when people do things that, that are are illogical. Right, I was going to say it was very illogical because, you know, I think everybody sees the same things you see, or at least people somewhat in the know. And I I, I couldn't see that horse running a, a mile and a quarter. Where did that come from? Other than the fact it's the Derby, I get it. But, well, you know, the other problem I have. Does he really have a shot? Probably not. This isn't like, you know, their, their issue, but. Like that race, I don't like the, the the weight spread. Um, he's carrying 124. This horse is in there carrying 117. We don't have older horses give seven pounds. <laughs> Why are we having a two year old give seven pounds? It's so wild that it's just all over the place with that kind of thing. Well, the, the weights are 124, now we're just 60,000 in 2022 allowed three. 50,000 in 2022 allowed five. 35,000. I mean, they, they write it like it's 1975 and, and two-year-olds all have six or seven starts. They don't. Most of the horses in that race, I, I haven't even looked at the PPs, but I'm sure they have one or two races for the most part. So they're not going to win those races. It just it makes no sense to me to, to be giving away um, that much weight with two year olds. It, it just is stop with this. One twenty four non winners of of a race. Uh, you know, make it allowance conditions. If you've won an allowance or you won a stake, you carry one twenty four. If you just have a maiden win, you carry one twenty one. And there you go, life goes on because nobody's running in the race because they get weight. Right. Nobody's saying that's oh, not attractive. Yeah, I'm picking this race up because hey, I'm gonna get seven pounds from that horse. So take the seven. But we, we can't have eight on horses and we can't um have we have handicaps where we, we give like three pounds here and two pounds here. And the high weights and some of the stay the, the handicaps are one twenty two or one twenty one. But we're giving two year olds one twenty four and having them give seven get seven pounds. Like how does that make sense? Right. In what world does that make any sense? That's that's absurd. Like, like people at the symposium, I know you're probably all going to be hung over tomorrow, but 
this is the thing you guys should be talking about. This is an issue. Even the Derby preps. I mean, we had a we, we got a debate going last year about the Derby. Yeah, preps. we did. And McPeak called me, and he's you know he's like, "You're right." I said, "Of course." Why? Why should you give six, seven pounds in a Derby prep? It should be equal weights. Equal weights. I mean that that seems. I don't understand how it got away from from that. Why would it's, it? It's it's a holdover, Barry, from a different time, and that's the thing. Is yeah. It's like it's like they forgot to fix that. That's not how we race horses anymore. So, like, let's let let's take care of that, and and because guys aren't skipping spots because of two pounds or four pounds, they're just not. But why should those horses, young unaccomplished horses, give away weight? And and for Derby preps. The Derby is the race. They're all preps. They're all preps. If you're going for, for points, and that's why people are running. Yes, the purse money is great, and, and people are going to run in big purse money races. But if you're running in a Derby prep, it's almost 90% of the people are running in the Derby prep to get Derby points because that's the race. That's their goal. Those should be equal weights. Or at the most, at the most, just like we just talked about. Two pounds, three pounds for stakes winners and, and, and maiden breakers, you know, get 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 a few pounds. You want to do that so it's not such a drastic change, fine. But I don't know. That just doesn't, well, I, uh, yeah, you know what, what trips me out is the fact that you know, like you said, they're they're doing things like it's nineteen seventy five. How come this industry just doesn't change with the times or adapt to situations? I just don't get it. And then and I'm I'm saying this talking about things that we actively have control over. You know, some of the, the, the state stuff that's you know kind of out of the tracks hands, but stuff like that with the weights, full control over that. Well, yeah, of course. I mean, they were, they were at the conditions. The conditions were right. There. So I, I don't understand why we they're still operating on that mindset when really the rest of the business doesn't do that. <laughs> you know what I mean? I just don't understand why. or And, and then even bringing up the change is blasphemous. And then making a change is like pulling teeth. That it is. So it's it's like, well, you know, do you really want the best for for everybody in this thing, or are you just kind of just skating along until it fizzles out? What are you doing here? Well, it's just there's just so it's just such an inefficient business, and so many decisions are made on whims, um, and so many people play CYA all the time. You know, they're always covering their ass. Hmm. Yeah. But it's just like, you know, I mean, I I know this is probably not as true as I want to make it to believe or make it to be. Um, But you see how that stupid roulette bet got implemented. 
why can't they implement these things with the weights? No, it, it's just it's just like well, who do you have to convince, and how much convincing do you need to do? Remember when we were, we were going on and saying, "Dear industry people, contact us. We will be discreet, but you have a lot of stupid ideas that we could prevent you from actually ever letting out into the public. Just contact us. Run it by us. We'll tell you free. Yeah, free ninety. McKinsey, we're not going to even charge you two hundred grand." tell you to tell you incorrect information or obvious things oh racing would be much better if races were on tv oh racing would be much better if they didn't run the races at the same time races would be much better if if the grandstands were clean and the bathrooms were clean and they had better food yeah no shit mckenzie thanks for telling us that we couldn't figure that out <laughs> what else are you gonna tell me oh you'd be much better off riding irad ortiz than he-man harkey Oh, really? No kidding. How much no. is for that, that advice? That's what racing does, though. They go to big-name team companies. Oh, well, I told her. Just like the, they hired that lady, who, who the economist, who said that, that uh, fewer horses were getting bred because um, fewer dollars were being bet, which is the uh-huh. absolute 180-degree wrong <laughs> assessment. There's no breeders that say, Hey, what's the handle? Let me see. Oh, <laughs> I know. I was gonna say that's just down, like no uh, correlation at all. Here. You know what? Let, let, let me let me uh, 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 change my breeding plans. Let me sell these two mares. I mean, it's it's stupid. How did they make those dots? That's what I want to know. I, that's probably the more interesting story. Baffling. How did how did they connect those two dots? Wow. It's it just, it's amazing. Oh, I wonder why more people aren't breeding horses. I, I don't know. Maybe because um, the expenses are through the roof. I don't know. Maybe because when you bring your horse to the sale, if you don't, you're not by um, a very short list of, of stallions out of a, a good mare that, that has excellent confirmation and, and no vet issues that you're not going to get nearly what you should get. But if you do bring one, yes, yeah, like having a lottery ticket. But how many of them actually do sell? What percentage horses sell for huge numbers? 90% don't. So then what are you going to do with your horse? You would think that because purses are so high, yields are so small, that more breeders would be saying, hey, yeah, listen, you know what? I'm willing to send them to the track. But then you know what you, you look at? You look at with a big trainer, you're talking five or $6,000 a month to train them. And they're all brainwashed into thinking that only big trainers can train their can train horses, or they want to send them to a small trainer and they want them to, to they don't want to pay any bills on them. right they don't want to pay them right. <clears throat> I mean, it's just like more people in this business suffer from bad advice than anything. Anything, just so many bad, just bad advice. It's frustrating because it, it just like the the laws of of, uh, of supply and demand. It's like we've right. gone off the rails somewhere, and and it's people aren't realizing that we need a greater supply. That if we shrink the supply, the demand has only grown. For one type of 
horse, the top ones, because those are the only ones people can justify spending sixty or seventy or eighty thousand dollars a year to train. And that's what these guys charge. And people have been brainwashed. They literally think like uh, a good solid trainer couldn't train a good horse. And it's just not true. And it's never been true. They don't look at all the massive amount of failures that the big trainers have. The big trainers fail with a huge number of horses. A gigantic of their horses are absolute 100% failures. So don't hear about them because it's like letting one, if you had a baseball team and you were allowed to sign a hundred guys, well, if one of your shortstops was, wasn't hitting well, was hitting He's a gun. 190. He's out of here. Well, not even that. You would have never even known because they would have covered up with all the other guys. That's what yeah. happens. I saw a horse the other day. Um, I'm not going to say which trainer, not going to say which circuit, but the horse was a million dollar horse. And he's ordinary. And he's just ordinary. And if it was with a smaller trainer, you know people would be saying, well, you know, that guy, he, he, he's not used to, he's not used to winning big races. Like it, it's like, it's the trainer running. <laughs> you know, it's like Deion Sanders. I mean, people like uh, someone actually said, oh, I, I, I'm going to make a future bet on, on the, uh, Colorado to win the championship. next year." Why? Championship of what? Colorado? <laughs> Of, of of being talked about for the next the, uh, till next like, season, yeah, like, sure. Like they're ranked 121st out of no, 124th out of 131 teams. They're horrible. They're terrible. Arizona blew them out. Arizona sucked. They haven't been good in a long time. Now he might figure it out, and he's got to get the, the the talent there, right? He's got to fill his barn up with with horses, and he's a dynamic guy who's been successful. Pretty much everything he's done. So, will he be a successor? Probably. But is Colorado going to become like Alabama West? No chance. Not (laughs) right away, anyway. (laughs) No, it's not. Never. Never, Barry. Never. It's never going to happen. There is no Colorado, Alabama West. It's not going to happen. Because as soon as he has some success, he's going to leave. He's going to go somewhere else because schools like that have limitations. And it's 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 not that different from a trainer. I know. Look at Danny Gargan. He morphed from a claiming trainer to concentrating on young horses. And he struggled for a while, not winning the high percentage because you can't just drop. You have a maiden special weight. So, well, you go in the maiden special weight. And whoever everyone else has in the race, that's that's sometimes determines if you can win or lose. If you have a $50,000 horse, you run it for 30 well, you're probably going to win a lot. And, uh, I mean, it's paying off for him. Look, he just won the, the, the Remsen. Yeah. With a nice horse by a, you know, good pedigree. And that's the kind of 
you know, the barn he wants to have because he's smart enough to see where the game is going. Hmm. I mean, honestly, I'll, I'll be completely honest with you. And believe me, the only per- reason he's another person, the only reason he's even like alive, breathing is because I saved him. But that's a long other story. <laughs> but uh, from a long time ago. Um, but if you read, like, and I don't want to get into the whole Heisa thing because, uh, you know, they're not constitutional scholars and blah, 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 whatever, whatever. But when you look at today's TDN and you read what the head of the head vet for Heisa is saying, huh. And if you if you read that, and, and I understand a lot of people don't have any familiarity with the testing, the regulation, the, any of this. So, you know, just just bear with me for a sec. But that was insulting. It's a it's a travesty, and I'm just I knew that this was what was going to happen because I was told that this was going to happen. And if you're a trainer, they're basically saying that they can call a positive test on you whenever they want. So you're going to have to shut your mouth. Not that many trainers talk anyways. And all we ever wanted was to be given rules that we could follow. Tell us what we can do. Tell us when we can do it. And... We'll, we understand we op- operate under the absolute insurer rule, basically saying the trainer responsible, even if what happens wasn't their fault, their knowledge, anything. We, we all know that when we get our licenses, this is the rule that um, we operate under. It was one of the reasons why during the whole Baffert saga, I kept saying, Bob should have just said, you know what? It doesn't matter. It's my fault because under the absolute insurer rule that he knows exists, that this is, you know, I've got to fall on the sword. And he did a year later. (laughs) But we all operate under that. We know that. And is it unfair? Absolutely. It sucks. It sucks to be responsible for something that um, you have no uh, control over in a lot of ways. But that's the way it is. What they're telling us now, what they're telling you is that they're not going to give you withdrawal times. They're not going to give you suggested withdrawal times at all. They're going to, uh, they're not going to be limits. It's detection. So if 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 a drug is detected in a horse at any level, any level, no matter how microscopic, it might be Something that, that has never, ever, ever been a, been a positive test. Ever. It's not a positive test. And these are for known medications. The vast majority of them have no performance-enhancing effects. And they're calling positives on them. And the attitude is basically, oh, well, you know, we're trying to change habits and all this bullshit. As though the vast majority of trainers and veterinarians aren't just trying to do the right thing for the horse. 
So you're going to call positives on things that uh, that should absolutely not be positive. Like this is calling a guy that happens to step off the curb and then jumps back on the curb, realizing that no, that the light hasn't changed yet, that he's going to be called uh, arrested for jaywalking and then uh, have a, a an extreme penalty thrown on top of him hmm. because he should have known better. We have to change your habits. Yeah. Insulting. What was a disgrace? It? And then I, I then I read in the Pollock report, Natalie Voss, who who's a great writer, and she writes about the plight of finding veterinarians uh, that to work on equine on on horses, um, and even dividing that into a tinier subject or subset, I should say, uh, trying to find veterinarians to work on racehorses, hmm. and she gives. Um, She's been going to the the equine practitioners convention for ten years, and how each year there's a dwindling number of people that are you know, willing to work on racehorses, and you know what can we do uh, to try to change that, and how a lot of peer pressure um, is placed on those veterinarians that choose the the racehorse game, and um, and here we have a regulatory a person in charge of the regulatory. Um, commission of, of racing that's basically saying that, that vets could be held liable that we're not going to give you uh, any guidance, we're not going to tell you anything, it's up to you and basically this is the same thing as, as driving down the road and not having any speed limits posted and you just have to guess as to what the speed limit is and the cops can pull you over anytime you want and what they're going to tell you is well just go slower because that's what I'm telling you now. Oh, don't use medication. Okay. So when my horse ties up, I'm supposed to what? Just let him tie up. My horse has a, um, you know, uh, an abrasion. We're just supposed to not give him any inflammatory. Cause that's what you're telling us. That's what you're telling me. And they're going to say, Oh, well, no, no, that's where you get positives from. That's where they come from. Let me just explain this for about the 50th time. If a guy has a positive test that they've caught him with, it's 99% chance of that not being performance enhancing whatsoever. No matter what they say, they make the rules so they are going to lie about them and make shit. You don't think it happens, you should buy a piece of the Brooklyn Bridge from MyRacehorse.com. This is how people get in these positions in this business and they never lose their jobs because they just make shit up. The vast majority of the races you saw run and if you're watched races for any length of time, a lot of the horses you think were great horses over the years, if they ran now, They might get a positive test. They might get the purse taken away because the jock hit him too many times. And we had no problem with any of these things for a long, 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 long time. But now, they're not trying to go after guys who are doing bad things or illegal things. 
They're not going after the quote-unquote juicers. They're going after the, the, the innocent people. They basically want you to turn your horses into holistic horses and don't use any medication at all. And let me just explain to you. That is ignorance. Ignorance. To think that horses are not going to have any issues. And this is the, the, the thing you hear. Oh, well, we're, we're not trying to get people. Well, you might not be trying to get people who are just treating their horses and doing the right thing for them. But you're gonna. If you, if you throw out a net of it's five miles long, you think you're going to catch more fish than if you throw out a net that's 50 feet long? Well, that's what you're doing. You're not giving withdrawal times. You're, you're saying, oh, detection. Oh, and, and then that, that, the other thing, whenever anyone in this business goes to the, the quote unquote, the European excuse, uh-huh. then you know they're full of shit. <laughs> oh, well, in Europe. Oh, you know what? I don't care about Europe. I know one thing. I saw a horse in Hong Kong getting hit 10, 11, 12 times the other day. I guess, <laughs> I guess it's okay. It's okay. That's okay. That's okay. Six is six is it. Six. Six is the stripes. Well, what, man? That's the fast rule. Those dudes in Australia, they get after in the stretch. No, 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 no. That's not right, Barry. No, no, no. It's, 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 you know, everything overseas is perfect and then everyone loves everybody and everything's great and, you know, it's all bullshit. I'm sick of hearing it. I'm sick of it. Well, I don't understand why a vet would sign off on that. Like, it just doesn't make any sense because, like, like you were saying with the withdrawal times, I mean, I was, I thought like a, a few years ago, there was like some issues with that where, you know, trainers were given the wrong withdrawal time and then a bunch of positives kind of came up and all kinds of nonsense can come up from that. But just having it like, like the Autobahn where, you know, you know, you can choose when to stop a medication and you don't really know. No, you have no idea. That's ridiculous. That's it's just setting somebody up for failure. Thousand percent setting everybody up for failure. To be honest, it's a, it's a disgrace. I mean, it's an absolute disgrace. And if someone in that has the ability doesn't bring this to one of those, um, Senator Grassley or someone, and explain exactly what they're asking now, this is what they're asking to do. And someone doesn't go to the FTC and say, "Hold on, how can you say that you're not going to tell us anything?" There's one section where it says, well, they're changing the, the level, uh, the butte level um, <laughs> from uh, 0.3 grams to 0.2 grams or so. Um, it, it's, it's, uh, I'm trying to see where it says. Oh, and, and this is the, this is the greatest, this is the, the best one. Um, they're going to um, have clearance testing. So you can you can have your horse tested by them. <laughs> Who would do that? But, of course, you have to pay for it. 
Right. Who would do that? Nobody would do that. So you have to take and test your horse. Now, how far out? Like, you have to test them? I, I don't know. But, um, of course, they're charging for this. Just another way to, to take, to separate owners from their money. And it's, it's you know, oh, here's, here's something. Um, this is where it says, the ACRI's phenobutazone threshold is, is 0.3 micrograms per milliliter, but is 0.2 micrograms per milliliter under high set. Now, I have no clue what that means, other than it's 33% less allowed at a microscopic level. I have no idea what any horse I ever trained ever, that anyone I ever worked for trained, what their level of, of their threshold for butte was, what it was. I have no freaking idea. None. Zero. We have no idea. We don't get the results of the test. No, they tell, if you got a positive test, they call you up and say you got a positive test. That's what they tell you. You got a positive test for this, and it was, uh, you know, 57 nanograms. That's it. They don't tell you if you're close, if you're not close. Nothing. You don't find out unless you've got a positive. But, like, they're changing that. Now, why would they change that? There's no good reason to change it. It's changed because these people want to get positives so they can justify their existence. And all the people out there that, that, that just jump up and down when a trainer gets a positive test and act like, oh, my God, he was cheating and this and that. I'm saying some of them aren't. But the vast majority of them aren't. And it had nothing to do with the race. Didn't make that horse win or lose that day. Nothing. But you're going to change the rule for no reason. There's no reason for that. None. And now you're going to tell me, well, when can I give Butte? Well, I don't know. I'm not going to tell you anything. 96 hours? I don't know. I I, I can't tell you that. So they're not going to give you any guidance at all. So all we ever ask for, all we ever ask for, you want to run a clean game, you set the standards and stick to them. And if someone breaks them, then you throw the book at them. But instead, they're going to say, you know what? I'm not going to tell you what the standards are. I'm not going to tell you what the withdrawal times are. I'm not going to tell you nothing. And if you get a positive, well, too bad. And hey, we might get your vet too. At the same time that the... The, the, they're running a, 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 a veterinary conference and virtually none of the people want to be involved in thoroughbred racing. Well, why wouldn't you want to be, or why, why would you want to be involved? Why would you want to be involved? To me, it's, it's almost criminal that this could be done like this. And if you're a trainer, man, I feel for you. Because the vast majority of trainers that I know, they care about their horses. And maybe they're not the best trainer. Maybe they're not, you know, maybe they're not a, a guy that wins uh, all the time. But they care about their horses and they do the best they can with what they have. And I hate to see those people get positive tests and get, get shown in a bad light, a negative light, because of the, the industry's... Um, disgraceful 
education attempt, or attempt, I would say attempt, attempt, educational program, the lack of there, which, which just makes people look like they're evil, when a lot of times, in some cases, they don't even ever heard of the drug the doors came up positive for, because it's environmental contamination. It's a joke. There was no reason to make these rules harsher. There was no reason to change the Butte rule. There's none. There's no justification for that unless you just want to get more positives. And how does that help this game? You people have to understand Heiser wasn't created to help this business. It was created to control it. And in doing so, they're going to ruin it worse than it's already ruined itself. Because the more positives there are, the more after the fact DQs there are, the more unhappy betters there are, the more um, unhappy owners there are, the more vets say, I'm not going to get, I don't want to do this. This is, this, this just isn't worth it. I'm going to go uh, spade cats. <laughs> Trainers? I know one thing. If you're a horse trainer of any significant size, you better find you a lawyer to have on call. Stand by. Because I'm guaranteeing you a bunch of you are going to get calls out of the blue, and you're going to get told you have a positive test for a, a horse for a drug that, hell, you may not have even given the horse or hadn't given the horse in a week or 10 days or some you know, so, some period of time that is just insane. Can you imagine if, if, if the NFL told you uh, the quarterback that, or, or any of the players that, that uh, you know, we're going to test you for all manners of, anti-inflammatories but we're not going to tell you when and where you can take (laughs) so if you take it a week before the game you might still come back positive and then we're going to suspend you for four games and take your money (laughs) the players wouldn't play right i was gonna say they they wouldn't play they would be like nope that's not gonna happen trainers they don't have a union Horsemen's groups are not, they're not set up to deal with 2022 horse racing. They're volunteer groups that are voted on. Often the amount of people running equals the amount of spots open. It's like a third world country election. (laughs) Everybody's getting it. Everybody gets it. <laughs> they have a vote because it says it has to do it in the bylaws, but, you know. Or I, I got one from Parks one time, and it was 10 openings, and there was 11 people running. So they had an election to eliminate one person. But most horse trainers are not experts on anything but horse training, and even some of them aren't experts on that. Um, horse training is often one of the least 
important issues that horsemen's groups have to deal with these days. The complication of wagering and ADWs um, and all the other sources of money has gotten to be so far beyond the scope of most horsemen's groups that it's it's sad almost. They're completely overmatched. And the tracks know this and take advantage of it. But in this case, um, you know, the National HBPA was fortunate enough to get backing from um, different various places that normally, ordinarily wouldn't be involved in horse racing other than uh, some of the states have uh, taken up you know, states' rights issues, which is why they're involved in the first place. But the National HEPA is, is basically like one guy. <laughs> <laughs> it's like one guy with, with an what assistant. And, you know, you go to, to Churchill Downs or they've got a bunch of guys graduated from Dartmouth and Harvard. And people that are, you know, this is what they do. We got, you know, horse trainers. It's a mismatch of epic proportions. And because of it, things have gotten screwed up. And in the end, like I've said, I've repeated it like four times today. But every horse trainer that listens to this would would agree. I, I, I almost everyone. I'm sure there's there's might be someone that doesn't agree. I don't know why. But all we ever wanted was was rules that we could follow, and feel safe that uh, you could treat your horse properly. You could take care of them when they needed to be taken care of. Uh, you're not going to put them at risk, and you're not going to put yourself at risk. If you drive down the highway and the speed limit says 55 and you're going 50, the odds of you getting a ticket are you know, minuscule. Now, what would the odds be if they didn't have a speed limit? And, hey, maybe you had out-of-state plates. And that's why you're going to get pulled over. Well, maybe... Maybe some trainer might go on a little winning streak and then all of a sudden somebody is going to whisper in the ear of somebody and next thing you know, do I trust any of them? No. Right. It just goes against the whole premise <laughs> or the, the original idea of what Hissa was supposed to do. This is a quote. HISA is not in a position to provide withdrawal guidance. I cannot say I think you're going to be fine if you back out to 82 hours. Well, that's what they need to find out. They don't. That, that, that's the thing. They just they provide no dosage, no detection time, no screening limit, no guidance, no nothing. Yeah, that's not fair. No, nah, it's completely unfair. And if you're an owner, you're, this is going to cost you money. Because your trainer might wind up wanting to take advantage of the rule or of the the uh, um, the pre-race testing, which is probably going to be 500 bucks <laughs> or more. 
And to be honest, if you're going for a big money race, you should do it. You should do it. If you're running for a half a million dollars and you got 300000 on the line, so I'd spend the five hundred. But it just seems to me like there's an awful lot of mechanism set up to fund Heisa from the horseman, like taking the owner's purse when the jockey hits them too many times. Like like this this program where, yeah, you can pre, pre-test your horse to make sure you're not positive because we're not going to give you any guidance. And in the end, you have no idea exactly what you're supposed to do. It just is. I'm telling you, go go to the TDN and read it. The medication rules is your new Bible. <laughs> I saw that and I was like, "Oh man, this this can't be good." <clears throat> it's just. Uh... I don't even train, and it just makes me mad because I know this is going to be a a, a, a big giant negative. This isn't stopping thirty four percent trainers, though. I guess <laughs> they could stop them now because they can right. just everybody make it up. Fall this huge net. They could just make it up. Yeah. But this is not what what anybody signed up for, and if you were a supporter of this before and you still support it, then I don't know what to tell you. I really don't know what to tell you. But yeah. this is this is not going to... Uh, yeah. I mean, this is the quote. Th- this is the advice that you're given. Recommend printing off the controlled medication list. As though, like, we don't know what the list is. <laughs> Laminate it. Put it on your ball. Give it to your staff. Put it on your clipboard. <laughs> this is a government freaking program. I don't need a list of all the, the stuff... What good? What difference does it make? Ninety percent of the stuff we never even heard of. But you're going to get positive tests for stuff that we know is 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 a viable, useful medication. There's no easy answer to this other than be more conservative and be more cautious of medication than you have been. How about F you? That's a. How about that? How about you're not even a real vet? Joke. I mean, it's a, it's an indictment on every single owner and trainer and, and veterinarian out that exists in the business right now. This is what the head of the organization said. Be more cautious of medication than you have been. <laughs> I am a person that trained for 20 years. I got three positives. One wasn't even a was not even a positive. It was a giant screw up by the lab. 
One was for Ace Promazine. And one was for, for a minuscule amount of butte that I got a $100 fine for. That they admitted they weren't really sure. In none of those cases with anything given intentionally. None of them. That's like, I don't know, 2,800 starts or something, 2,500 starts. I did. I had to do days one time for the ace promising. And it wouldn't have been a positive in, in any other state. The only state that had the low medication or the low threshold for that was, was Kentucky at the time. And this was supposed to clear this up. Now it would be a positive in every state. That's not the uniformity we're looking for. <laughs> Hell no. It's a minuscule amount. We didn't even, we had no record of even giving it. And the veterinarian that we sent the split sample test said that is consistent with, that level is consistent with environmental contamination because acepromazine is widely used by all manners of horses on the backside, including ponies. And and it's used for um, to clip horses. It's used to uh, do veterinary work. It's used to calm uh, horses down before you know going to the track. It's used for blacksmiths. And now you're basically saying that environmental contamination. We're gonna like make bring bring on bring that back. It's in vogue now. And and the, the residual damage is that it's going to look like things are much worse when they're not. Yeah, that to me is real key is the, <clears throat> the perception that it's going to put out there. Because like you said, the, the poor education on these things by everyone... It's just going to make it look like the whole sport is dirty top to bottom, and it's not really that way. You see fines and and days being handed out like Tic Tacs. That's not good. You don't want that. You do want to get, you know, the, the, the crazy cheaters under control, but you don't want to alienate everyone else to do it. There's no easy answer other than to be more conservative and be more cautious of the medication that you have been. There was nobody who was more cautious than I was. It still happens. It's just aggravating. I hear you. It's aggravating because it's just another thing that's being done wrong. And the net result is just confusion. Horse trainers are not the smartest people in the world. And when you don't give them any guidance at all, any guidance, 
I mean, that that's the thing that really gets me, is that they're just washing their hands and saying, well, too bad. Just don't use anything. It's just a philosophy that is, is a, it's, it's just a bullshit philosophy that's been out there, that was put out there by people that don't know anything. I trained a lot of horses that were not perfect physically. I didn't get the cream of the crop horses. I didn't get the well-conformed horses. I had horses that had issues. That's the ones I trained for pretty much my entire career. And trust me, they have issues. Issues that if you just ignore, don't get better, they get worse. There's no horse that should be have to be put in pain because we're not allowed to do any treatment for a horse and because we're, we're in fearful of getting a positive test. And anyone out there that says, oh, well, you should just give them time off. Nobody you, ever rates. You don't know you don't know anything about horses. You just don't know anything about horses. You can't have them sit in a cou- on the couch for a week. It doesn't work that way. And especially the minor stuff. It's like when you go to the gym, okay? You haven't been to the gym in a while, and you go to the gym. How do you feel after the first day? Sore. Exactly. So if you just take another two months off, then when you come back, what's gonna? how are you going to feel after your first day back after two months? Sore. Exactly. <laughs> That's the point. You need to work through things. Horses with, with abscesses things, you work through them. I remember we had a horse named Oh, remember, oh he, he, he waggle limit. He won uh won the Jolly oh, yeah. Bowl Cup. He broke his maiden at Aqueduct. And he looked like a you know, he was a promising horse. Well bred, good looking. Um, you know, pretty fast too. Comes out of his stall a couple days after the race. He's dead lame. Like Dead lame, like broken bone lame. Like, oh. We x-ray him. Don't find nothing. Nothing. Zero. He's lame in his foot. We take a foot, a picture of his foot, thinking he's going to have a broken coffin uh, bone. Nope. Nothing. <laughs> coffin bone's fine. So the vet comes, dig, or the vet, the, the blacksmith comes, digs around, sees if there's some kind of abscess in there. Can't find nothing. So. Chief says, uh, bring him over to Dr. Reed's, which is the old clinic, which is uh, actually the most famous thing that ever happened there was, was Ruffian wound up there after she broke down. That's where they had the surgery and she woke up and she, you know, wasn't calm um, and hurt herself and had to be put down. But uh, it's there's a, there's a new hospital that was built, uh, I guess, about 10 years ago there. But um, we walked him over I can't remember. No, we didn't walk him over. We vanned him over. We had we took a van, a small two horse trainer. Uh, one of the pony boys had a two horse trailer. We we vanned him over there because he was he was so lame he couldn't walk hardly. And they did these things called zero X rays, and it was kind of a, I guess a precursor to M- MRIs in some sort of fashion. I really don't know, but I remember Doctor Reed, who was very very old at the time. Doctor Reed, I believe. Uh, bread gone west. Hmm. Interesting factoid. Only I care about. But uh, he said there was an abscess. The horse had a, a, a cyst 
and his coffin joint. And I had never heard of it. And he said, uh, this happens sometimes. And so you're not really sure why, but uh, they develop and, you know, that uh, eventually it'll go away. So I said, well, what do we do until it, it does? And he said, bring him out twice a day and walk him for about 10, 10 minutes. I'm like, Doc, he's like dead lame. He said, it doesn't matter. That walking, and he you know, gave me the description of, of what it would do for the horse's foot to, that will be beneficial to it. And he goes, it's going to be ugly, and it's going to look terrible for a couple of days. And, and he said, and this he said, he goes, walk on a hard surface. I'm like, oh, so I got to bring him outside and on the road so everybody can see. Like, <laughs> be like, what, are, what are these people doing? That horse looks like Rough. a broken leg. But he said, just keep doing it. He goes, I can't tell you when he'll start to get better, but you know, and he goes, it's not going to be in a couple of days, but it, eventually it'll get better and it'll dissipate. So we brought him back and I told Jerkins and he just kind of gave me the look. And <laughs> He's like, what? Yeah, he's like, oh, okay, just do it then. So we brought him out every day, and I brought him out in the morning, and I brought him out in the afternoon, and we walked him up and down the road. He hobbled, and I can't tell you how many people are like, "What are you doing?" I'm like, "He's not. He doesn't have a broken leg. Just shut up and keep walking. <laughs> Mind so, your business." <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> So about I don't know five or six days, and I brought him out in the morning, and he was he was walking like ninety percent better, and it just went away. Um, and of course he went on to win a bunch of races and won the Jockey Cup Gold Cup uh, as a four year old. But the point is that that lameness exists. Uh, and, he, and he said, he goes, don't give him any inflammatories. Nothing. Just let him be. He goes, you want to, don't try to hide anything. He goes, probably aren't going to work anyways. And, you know, just, you know. Um, I think we, we gave him, like, something at night. I can't remember what it was, but he said, no, no. Just when you walk him, just walk him without giving anything. So um, we had to wrap up the other feet because he didn't want him to founder. So you want, you know, you have to be square on it. And uh, it just goes to show you, though, that that there's so many different things that can happen. And there's so many different incidences and, and you know, occurrences that everyone is different. And these days, if these highest of vets saw you walking a horse like that, they'd want to lock you up. But that's how the horse got fixed. That's how he got fixed. Because a guy who is a great veterinarian that had 50, 60, 70 years of experience, he was old by, by, by then, knew what to do and didn't have to answer to anyone who wouldn't know. And I guess it's a little odd that I would use a... a, a a uh, circumstance where we didn't actually have to give medication to support using medication, but the fact is that there's a lot of different things that happen. So to just say, oh, just don't give medication anymore. 
Right. That's that doesn't make any sense. We've made huge advances in, in, in medical research in in humans and, and in animals. But these people want us to go back to the to the Stone Ages. But the way the Stone Ages were, it wasn't like that then. I had a discussion with the owner of famous name, and I won't bring his name up. But he wanted to bring racing back to like it was in the 60s. And I said, the problem was, I don't think it was like you think it was. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the 60s was when they started using Lasix and Butte. <laughs> like, that stuff isn't new. <laughs> That's the thing is, it's been around since the 60s. The 60s were a long time ago. This isn't a modern day solution. Anyways, we've ranted on this, or I've ranted on this long enough. <laughs> no, but uh, that was is definitely good to to let people know because that'll affect the perception. You know, I mean, nobody else is talking about this. They, I mean, you'll see tweets here and there, but nothing elaborate enough to get a discussion. I think what you you said and how you approach it, and and, and the example you gave can, you know, get the wheels turning in a lot of people's heads that weren't even thinking about that. It's just the problem that we don't have this discussion at the symposium. Not handed. Exactly. 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 You know, there needs to be some, some, you know, truth bombs set off. And I understand yeah. why trainers don't talk about it too. I mean, yeah, no, you I want mean, to put yourself on the firing line. Yeah, they don't want to do that. Why would you? You know, especially the smaller trainers. You know, they can't afford to lose business over some nonsense. No. Oh, the big trainers are doing great. Maybe the, you know you, you'll hear them speak up when they get in, they, they get caught up in something. But. This is not the right. This is not the way to go. And this is why they wanted the horsemen out. Oh, they didn't want the horsemen to have any influence on this. Well, yeah. I mean, if you didn't believe that before, you definitely have to wonder now. You know, it just keeps. You know that that evidence keeps mounting up. If people don't see the reality of the situation after the last few weeks of the unconstitutionality and um, how many people were willing to actually say something then, this is not a widely supported thing. This is not widely supported at all. This was, this was framed as it was had you know huge support that's just not true and this is going to make it worse because if you're a trainer or you're an owner i don't know how you can say oh that's fine you can just make up the rules whenever you want and we have almost no way 
of defending ourselves. Just don't use any medication. That that's that's what they're saying. That's awful. <laughs> like every time you say it, this is worse. It's like why would they say that? I just thought that that for years I I fought with people about the Lasix issue, and I would tell them, listen, I'm not a guy like who believes in hyperbole. You know, I'm not going to tell you something that's not true. The fact of the matter is, Lasix works. It's not perfect. But it's the best solution that we have. But it does help. It does help. And the side effects, they're all nonsense for the most part. It, it's it's just not. They're, they're not an issue. After 30 years, we figured that out, you know? Like, we've used this for a long time. <laughs> this is not, like, something that we're not familiar with. Um, and a lot of people were, were buying... Um, you know, they, they bought the the propaganda. And I can't tell you how many of them in the last year or so have said to me, either privately or I've seen them comment on it and say, eh, you know what, uh, I, I understand now why guys were against that. And people, you know. I've seen trainers change their stance on it. <laughs> Trainers are usually the last people to know. Like, you would think that trainers would keep up on all this stuff, but a a lot of them don't. And it's it's not an excuse. It's just that they are hyper-focused on on the the job that they do, which is a a seven-day-a-week, 24-hour-a-day job. Um, And in a lot of cases, they don't understand the issues, and that's on them. But, uh, you know, individuals would say, well, what can I actually do? I can't talk. I can't speak out in public because, you know, you know how that plays with management. Um, you know, I go to the, the horsemen's groups and they're pretty much toothless, regardless of whatever people sell you on the Internet. Horsemen's groups don't have any power. <laughs> horsemen's groups power. <laughs> Like any power that they had, um, that that walked out the door the, the first second they put a slot machine in a racetrack. Once you track a slot machines, your power is nil, almost nothing. Because what are you gonna do? Pull this, pull the signal. Nobody pulls the signal anymore. The only people that pull the signal is Churchill Downs. Yeah, <laughs> and even they cut that out. Yeah, yeah. I mean. Like the horsemen aren't pulling the signal. When's the last time the horsemen pull the signal? They don't do it. They you know, they understand you. you. You can't cut your face off to you know your nose off to spite your face. Strike. Remember they used to go on strike. <laughs> yeah. Good luck. Yeah. Try that now. <laughs> yeah. Horsemen don't have any power. Yeah. Oh yeah. We had the power to cut the simulcast off. Yeah, but we're not going to do it. They know we're not going to do it. Half the horses' organizations are, are are basically just extensions of the tracks. Anyways, they do whatever the track want, tells them to do. So it's just it's a false narrative, you know. Just like people saying, "Oh well, you know, it's the horses' fault. The takeout's not lower." Uh, I got to I got to tell what? you <laughs> what I got to tell you that uh, that is not it. Maybe it was twenty years ago, but that is not it. 
And sometimes you'll have a, a horseman's organization of buffoons like in Pennsylvania uh, parks. And they'll say idiotic things. But, you know, Jeff Moans, who's an idiot. So. Good call. And we've gone too far tonight. So, because I'm now talking about punching Jeff Moans. But, um, you know, a trainer says something stupid. That doesn't mean all trainers think that way. Horsemen's groups have no power. They just don't. Like I said, most of them, they just go along with whatever the track tells them to do. And then they can say, oh, well, we're, we have a great relationship. Meanwhile, the track just manipulates them like they did in Penn National. They manipulated them so that they could open up other casinos where they didn't have to pay anything and then cut out racing little by little by little because the business went to the other casinos. I mean, it's actually a brilliant move. The track benefits greatly. Their profits go up, and the horsemen are are, are uh, marginalized. I mean, if if you were the track, you know, kudos. You found a way to increase your bottom line by um, expanding, while at the same time having to put less of of an investment into the horse racing side. I mean. You know, that's what they do. And I don't think the, the slots money has been used appropriately in any way, shape, or form. I am not a guy that's in favor of like $35,000 purses for $7,500 claimers. But in some states, this is the way their laws were written. Money went to purses. The law, L-A-W. And if you go to change it, then you opened up a Pandora's box because they're going to say, well, if they're willing to give a piece to this, maybe they're willing to give a piece to that. Or maybe not even willing. If they can afford to give that much, then we can give, you know. And that's the thing. People want the horsemen, like Jeff Garrell. And this has been my chief issue with Jeff Garrell, who, who's probably the most proactive against uh, or the, probably the most proactive ownership in, in America or North America against, uh, or I shouldn't even say against, but to try to have the the, uh, the product on the track be as, what am I trying to say, Barry? Top notch. Uh, um, clean. Clean, right. clean, yeah. Right. Clean. And they go way overboard with the driver thing. I mean, making them sign up stuff. I mean, it's just silly. But, uh, you know, he, he, his wanting to use purse money for uh, marketing hmm. when their purses were, you know, below no, below average. That was just, to me, was, was just like, no, you, you can't use purse money for that. Because, well, you know, they act like they don't make any money elsewhere. Well, well betters for that. <laughs> aren't the customers of the horsemen. They're the customers of the track. The horsemen get a piece of, of every bet, sure. But so does the state. And no one says, well, the state uh, are, are the, the betters of the state's customers. 
The betters are the customers of the track, the racetrack. The racetrack puts the show on. The racetrack owns the property. The racetrack takes the bets. They're not the horseman's um, customer. And that doesn't mean that, like I said, that, that the slot money shouldn't have been used in, in, a, in a different manner. The place like Kentucky, where they're, they're rolling in money, they literally have too much money. They are starting to use the money in, for different, um, in different areas, hopefully, you know, beneficially. But that's because they have an abundance of it. They have so much money that they literally can't write more races. They don't have enough. Now, someone was saying, why do they write uh, so many races at the end of Churchill? Well, because they have so much money to give away. <laughs> they they kind of have to, which is not a problem that's, that's been, you know, <laughs> it's not been a problem. Right. Uh, they got so much purse money, they can't give it all away. It's a good problem to have. But there is a limit to, to how much they're going to be able to give away in purses as well before it gets to be uh, the politicians come and take it back. And when the politicians take it, good luck. Who knows where that money's going? Because politicians tell you all the time, oh, well, this money's going to go for education. Earmarked for education. Remember the lotteries? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Billions of billions that's going into education, yet our education system is, is like wildly underfunded. So you tell me without lotteries that like it would just not exist? <sighs> because when the politicians get it, who knows where it goes? I haven't even had a t- chance to rant about Tom Thibodeau. Oh man, you gotta leave him for next week when he gets fired. You're gonna fire him on Christmas Day, watch. I have nothing personal against him, but I just want to punch him in the face. <laughs> that's the second person. That's I know that's two. That's two punches in the face tonight. I'm gonna line Jeff Mullins and Tom Thibodeau up and punch him. Are they the same? Will they get the same punch? That's the question. No, 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 no. I mean, I just, I'd rather slap Thibodeau. <laughs> like, wake up, man! What are you doing? Stop being 1995 coach. So what uh, did Bobby Knight in? He, he's just... He refused to change. Just Cam Reddish was a starter three weeks ago. He was playing 30 minutes a game. He was actually playing well. He got hurt. Last night he, did, he played zero minutes. <laughs> because he wanted to, to, to shave the rotation. How, how, how do you... How does he not understand that you can't do that to players? You can't just, you know, young players. When you finally gave the guy a shot, you finally gave him minutes, and he played and he was playing well. And then you then then you take him and you bench him. Fournier is different. Fournier is old, and it doesn't matter. He's not part of the future. He has no value. He's he's a he's a, he's a negative value guy. He makes right. too much money. He makes too much money, <laughs> and and he's a one trick pony. He can only shoot threes. That's all. He has no value other than that. And he's got like two or three more years on his contract. So can you bench him? Sure, because what difference does it make? You're not going to lose him. You know, maybe you'll lose him, but who cares? He's not helping you. <laughs> he's not part of the future. But you can't just take a 22 year old guy and 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 start him and then. He gets hurt and you bring him back and then you sit him on a bench. Especially when there's other players that play poorly that don't ever have to, to 
face the consequences of playing poorly. They continue to play huge minutes. You don't think those guys see that? I mean, you can see it. You can see the mannerisms, and you can see it's just, uh, you know, one guy, that he doesn't play him at all. Doesn't play him at all. And the other, last night, he puts him in, in the first quarter. <laughs> it's tough as a player when that happens, too. Uh, mentally, you know, you kind of like, well, what the hell is going to happen? You have no idea. It's kind of like a tactic a, a college coach would use in order to to get somebody else to play better. Right. It doesn't that doesn't really fly in the NBA. It just basically alienates your guys and they'll just stop playing for you. Yeah, Jason Tatum tells a story I saw on, on um Facebook or one of those places but just a little clip when he was at Duke and he he, he said they um coach K that they they played they played the team played well in the first half of the game and he said he had a couple assists and he said he think he only had a couple points but you know the team was playing well that they were winning and um you know everyone seemed kind of happy and because coach K comes in the locker room and just goes nuts yep. and and just like ripped them up and down only him and um you know Got him so pissed off, he went out in the second half, scored like twenty eight points. And after the game, he, he said to Tatum, "I don't, I'm not gonna have to scream at you every game <laughs> in order to get you to, to to play, you know, to to play like that, right?" And Tatum's like, "No, no, coach, but you know, no more screaming, please. You know, you got me. I I get it. Okay, I'm in. Like in the pros, that doesn't fly. Guys, I make more than you do. So. They get paid, right?" <laughs> He's like, I make more than you do. So uh... that doesn't work, man. Play the guy. And the the thing about the Knicks is that they're not going anywhere. Everybody has to be. I mean, who thinks they were actually going to be like contenders? I mean, yeah, you all have to put at the beginning of the season. Yeah, you never know what could happen. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but we know. They're not good enough. They don't have enough talent. They're not a good enough team. The young guys haven't found their roles. But, you know, people like on the Knicks Twitter, oh, Halliburton. As if Halliburton had got drafted instead of Toppin, what makes you think he would have played him? Halliburton played 30 minutes a game as a rookie because he went to a shitty team who had nothing to lose by playing him, and they let him work through his rookie stuff. He wouldn't have, there's no way Thibodeau would have played him that much. No chance. Especially a point guard. No, no chance. <laughs> so you know what? Maybe the guy never becomes the player he's become because he was part of the reason he made it to the level he's at and he's he's playing great. Is because he got 30 minutes a game to play. And he wasn't just yanked out every time he made a bad play. You ever see the movie The Other Guys? With uh, Mark Wahlberg and and Will Ferrell, and he's like, "Yeah, you quote me on." That. I know I do all the time, but it, there's another quote in there that reminds me of that, and it's it's like, you know, I'm a peacock. You gotta let me fly. <laughs> gotta let him play. I mean, that's what's going on with Orlando right now, and they're they're gonna be better for it in the end. They got a lot of young guys, and they're getting a lot of good minutes. They might, you know, get wrecked like they did last or tonight. They were getting hammered by Milwaukee, but. In the end, you have a, a guy like Bobo, Franz Wagner, 
and you have two decent point guards that are fairly young. You have, you know, uh, Greg Anthony Jr. And then uh, Fultz, who just came back off of injury, both of them. And you have Suggs. Now, they're probably not going to be able to keep all these guys. But the ones they end up having, they're going to have a good foundation. And then if they can somehow get someone that's not too old, that's a veteran type, could, you know, kind of put things together. But Tibbs isn't even putting them in that position. <laughs> He's not. And, and and that's the thing is that, yeah, you can't keep everybody. But a young player that that's not on a, a, a huge contract, those guys are valuable. You can trade them and get a lot back for them. I mean, that's the thing is that if you have an overabundance of two, if you have a situation where you have too many good young players, you can package a couple of them up with a draft pick and get a really good player back. Mm-hmm. You know, a, a star level type player. And that's, and I don't, I'm not saying that any of the Knicks young players are, are going to be stars, but. Nobody knows those. because they've never played. That's and when and their roles are so like disjointed. Obi Toppin is probably as athletic as anybody in the whole league. And what's he do? He stands him out in the corner and has him shoot threes, which makes absolutely no sense. And we all get that the threes are better than twos, and 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 long you know long twos are, are terrible shots because of the percentages that they make versus you know, but. You don't take the guy whose game is based upon extreme athleticism and put him in a corner. It doesn't make any sense because you've taken his strength and you've you've sapped it because he's stuck out there and he can't make anything happen because he's he's you know he's way on the corner. It does it just doesn't it makes no sense at all. Well, my my father used to always say this when I was growing up and playing basketball and stuff. He would say the best coaches will always put you in a position to succeed. So when you're good enough to play, right? You're one of the better players on the team and you know, you should be out there. He's got to know your weaknesses and try to cover them up as best as he can in order to get what he, your strengths, you know, to, to outshine everything else and to get the most out of you as a player. And it's definitely true. I mean, I've seen it time and time again, and, you know, Tibbs is the perfect example of that. He's not going to change in order to get the most out of his players. He wants them to adapt to him. And in the NBA, that doesn't work. It works in college because, you know, you know, back a couple of years ago before NIL deals, you know, they had all the control. The, 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 the coach has all the power. In the NBA, the coach doesn't have the same kind of power. It's just different. And those kind of power plays and head games and stuff like that doesn't work because people, they'll just shut right down on you. And then your season's done, and then you'll be like, well, I don't understand why I got fired. <laughs> it's easy to get rid of a coach. It's hard to get rid of a Right, player, exactly. Especially a player that makes a, a lot of money. Oh, I mean, you, you look at... Um, Nobody goes to see Tibbs coach. 
No. I and mean, that, that's really it, what it all comes down to. I mean, to. you just you get to these lineups that they have. And I, I understand that, start, that starting means a lot to some guys. And some guys don't want to come off the bench. But a guy like R.J. Barrett doesn't belong in the starting lineup. Not because he's not oh, – I mean, he's played pretty terrible this year. But he, his game doesn't fit the other players. He's a slasher. He takes it to the basket. And he's, he needs to work in space to make his jump shot work. And they play him with Robinson, who just clogs the middle. Clogs the middle. Randall, who stops, who's a ball stopper. Brunson, who's who's a scoring point guard, um, right. which is something that doesn't work in the NBA very which, often. Which which is which is <laughs> good for him, but he's not good for our, for, for right for the Barrett. Team. Yeah, for Barrett, it, it's not it's not a great fit. And you know he he need, he should be on the team that that's looking to. He should play with the guys that, that want to play in transition. You know, right. they, they want to make something happen, get the ball moving up and down the court. And it's like Dibs won't do that. He he can't have uh, – he, he can only have one system. And the Knicks play slow. And it's just not – you know, his insistence on playing Randall so much, it hurts the other guys because, like you just said, you're not putting all the players in the position to be – what they should be and roles matter. I mean, you see how guys on different teams become, um, you know, better players, not just because they have they got time, but, but they play uh, with other players whose games suit their game. Well, that's why the, that's why the golden state warriors win a lot because they have well-defined roles and Kerr puts them in the positions that they succeed. Yeah, true. I mean, um, you know, the one, it was like the, the issue with Russell Westbrook. Russell Westbrook was a player that, that would be much better if he had shooters on the floor with him so that he could have room to operate. He's not a stand, a stand around jumper. So when your team doesn't have shooters, he is a lot less effective because the other team just basically says, you know what, we're going to back right. off you. We're right. not going to let you drive, and, and we're going to you know, make you shoot. And that's not his, the most effective part of his game. It's the least effective part of his game. So who you play with matters too. And, and it's – I've talked about 10 minutes about the Newark Knicks, and I'm sure that maybe two people are, have any interest at all. Time Lord's here. You heard that. Time Lord's making fun of us because it's long. We have definitely we've used G Max timing tonight instead of the Beam timing. <laughs> no chicklets for us. Oh, I want to say, Jason Beam. I know you're probably not listening at this point, but uh, you do a really good job of calling races. Yeah, we we actually remarked about that. Over yeah, there. he does. He, he's 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 gotten even better. And, uh, you know, I thought we'd miss Grunder, but Grunder wasn't very good. <laughs> <laughs> he was kind of funny. He was a nice guy, but, uh, oh, Beam, he does good. Anyways, that's all for tonight. That is it. Yeah. It's an important show. Shout out to everybody. Just everybody. Everybody. 
Shout out to the world. Shout out to 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 Sid's wife. CC. Thank you for saying nice stuff about us. Yeah, she's not now. <laughs> I've, 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 I've created a lot of enemies. She listened to this show. She's like, what is wrong with those guys? Created a lot of enemies tonight. But uh... <laughs> Plus, she, she's a lawyer, and she might need to defend me if I actually do clap <laughs> Tom Tibeto or punch yeah. Jeff Mullins in the face. Um, but uh, no, it's... Uh... Oh, this is something that... that uh... This is a self-promotional deal. Okay. The first future book. I bet. Um, I, I bet one horse in the first future book. What? Um. Post time. Really. Post time is now three for three after winning another stake at Laurel. I don't know what kind of competition he's beating and kind of odds you get. He's, uh, he's, you know, improving though. I saw him run first time out and I just happened to be like, I don't even watch Maryland. And it just happened to be on the old TV channel. It was fate, man. It was, it was, and and I was like, that horse ran gigantic. Let me look him up and see who he is. Oh, it's a two year old first time starter. And, um, I got 264 to one. Okay. <laughs> That's what's up. Got to take a flyer on that one, right? He, he didn't. Yeah, I got two, 264 to one. He, he didn't even get listed in the second um, the second grouping. But he's still undefeated. He'll be back on there. Yeah. Yeah, you'd think he'd be back on there because they, they expanded the numbers and the Baffert horses still can't be on it. So... <laughs> God, you know we're gonna wind up talking about Bob Baffert a lot. Oh. It was it was funny though. Everybody faded the, the the turf sprinter yesterday. Oh, speedboat, speedboat. I guess he was sprint stretching out. Of course, he won. <laughs> uh, so why does he keep running us on the on the on the turf? I guess he's just trying to expand his horizon. Right, he's do something different, swishing it up. Well, I probably said, well, if I'm going to run him on the turf, I got to run him here because nobody else has turf. <laughs> I wonder if the Stafford, he's never run a horse at uh, Tampa Bay, has he? I don't think so. I don't ever I, remember him running. I don't ever. ever recall it, but I guess it's possible, right? Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't recall him. Uh, a Wonder Wheel might run in the race, by the way, the Suncoast. Yeah, I heard heard that. That'd be interesting. Julia Childs, she she needs more racing, man. Two races, that's not going to be enough. Two Come on, Childs. <laughs> Come on, Clutch. I can't remember the horse's name. I always call her the wrong name, but that's why I'd be a terrible announcer because I would I would mangle names. Oh man, call horses by the wrong names, names, dude. That'd be horrible. Could you imagine how badly I would be savaged? Terrible. Stick to the next, you jerk. <laughs> Unless they let me just talk through a race like I like I talk to myself at home. That'll work. I could do that all day. Like, look at this six. Can you see it? Are you looking at this? What is this guy doing? <laughs> I don't even know what this one's doing. What, what 
They should the writer. They should have. They should have. They should have a, a second announcer, kind of like the Manning cast on Monday Night Football, <laughs> like the anger translator. Yeah, and just have it be like a a, a random you know guy that, that bet on the race. And, Where are you going? <laughs> That's what they should do on the replays, like you know, between races when they show the head-ons and stuff. I knew I shouldn't have. Have bet a little guy. box in the corner, some dude's commentary. I knew I shouldn't have bet this guy. What's he doing? Why are you so far behind? I never win. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, we've set a record, and uh, I think this this might be our longest podcast ever. That's okay. It was needed. I don't even remember what the hell I said. Exactly. We'll just have a short one closer to Christmas. That's all. Yeah, as we get to Christmas, we'll get. We get shorter. Oh, we're not actually going to get shorter and be like. <laughs> I hope not. That is that would be a buzzkill. <laughs> like Eddie C. <laughs> oh no, we don't want that. <laughs> oh man, there have been some epic spaces though on Twitter lately. Just epic nonsense on on Twitter. Total nonsense. Absolute one hundred percent nonsense. But it is entertaining. It is. It is. You know. I mean, if you don't follow the cast of characters you probably get lost pretty quick but uh yeah twitter man all right well we'll uh we'll talk next week and uh everyone good luck peace